Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Hey, this is Coach Freddie. And I'm here in Binghamton, New York, and I'm going to be having a conversation with the Castetter Sustainable Group. And they say they're leading the charge for a robust, sustainable, and diverse New York hemp industries. And I'm talking with Jim Castetter, Kaylin Castetter, and Jameson Charettes. He's the creative director of the group yep. here. So let's start off with uh, Jim and... Tell us how you got started your venture here, and what does uh, Castetter's Sustainable Group actually do? Hmm. Well, um, Coach, I got I got started uh, in the hemp industry in probably the mid '90s. Uh, I started um, Nirvana Homebrews Hemp Infused Wine. Uh -huh. uh, brought a terpene from Holland that uh, my buddy out there was making in Amsterdam, and. Um, <clears throat> Applied it to uh, a wine in New York State, and, and there was a hemp beer out there. And uh, at that time, the federal government really didn't know anything about hemp, so I got uh, label approval, and, and hey, I'm, I, I became the hemp wine guy. Okay. Started selling at a bunch of nations, and then they shut us down because of the new hemp rules. Uh -huh. And then uh, I went away. I had kids, and then I had Kalen, my uh, oldest son, who... Um, clawed me back into the hemp business uh, <laughs> by starting hemp wine again. Yeah. And I told him no so many times. I finally gave up and said yes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, our local assemblywoman, Donna Lopardo, wrote uh, a hemp bill for New York State. And that kind of changed everything. And, and we decided to go out and start growing hemp. And in a, in a short period of time, it became a... Um, uh, kind of a mission to, to help the farmers in New York State and upstate New York uh, specifically who were uh, really hurt by, by the dairy economy and, and the overall economy here. Uh, lots of small farms that, that were going out of business that, that, you know, herds were being sold and, you know, people just giving up. And we really started building a model of, of how we can help the farmers in, in upstate New York. How can we bring a potentially thriving industry into a, a a region of New York State that, that had been economically depressed and overlooked for decades and decades. Uh, the people here wanted something new. Um, and and kind of where we are now is, is growing a lot of hemp with uh, a lot of different small farmers. Okay. Um, How many farms do you have? Uh, 16 now? 16. 16. 16 farms. Okay. 16 farms. Um, we range in, in acreage from three or four acres uh, for a small farm all the way up to, uh, I think we've got about 35 acres going on uh, a large um, uh, farm right now in, in upstate in the Finger Lakes area. Okay. So, 
All right. Well, great. So you instigated this, uh, Kaylin, huh? Yeah. Tell us about your journey here. Yeah. So, you know, really, really what it, what it was is, you know, I remember uh, vaguely the, the Nirvana homebrew uh, hemp wine days in, in the late 90s. And I remember, uh, you know, falling asleep at the New York State Fair, um, you know, selling wine bottles. And <laughs> so uh, when, I, when I came back um, in college, when I transferred back home to Binghamton University, was kind of looking for for something and uh it it you know, the hemp wine the idea of, of restarting hemp wine uh, seemed very attractive to me and you know um i think if i understood or had any idea of what the amount of work would entail um i wouldn't have done it but i did and um it took uh it took a long time it took about a year in order to for us to be at a point where we had a um a a functioning prototype product and we we're able to go and, and get funding which we were a, a small capital raise of twenty five thousand dollars which allowed us to get our liquor license and um build out a, a little little winery next to my dad's mechanic shop uh, where we started to infuse the wine and, and really started to to market it um now that started the the next issue and and it was related to the reason why my my dad had to exit the the wine industry is because the federal government didn't recognize the addition of hemp into the wine as acceptable, um, and they didn't allow for hemp, the word hemp, to be on a, an alcohol label, right? So when we resubmitted, um, it got held up, and eventually, um, after a while, they they uh, they said no. And but during that time, when they said no, there's a there's a provision in the New York State Beverages Law that allowed you to market while you're you know, federal label was pending. And in that time that it was pending, uh, people really started to love it. And um, it started to get a lot of political attention. And so at the time when we found that, you know, our, um, you know, submissions and logic fell short at the federal level, we went right to the governor. And um, we sat in a meeting with uh, Chairman Bradley of the New York State Liquor Authority, and uh, we had to explain to him um, why the federal government was wrong and why New York State should, for the first time in New York State history, approve a uh, alcohol label um, that the federal government denied. And so what we're able to do is we're able to look through and, and look at some of the reasoning why hemp may not be allowed in food or beverage products. And this came down to Rule 205 and Rule 205F from the DEA. And, you know, we found that they really uh, made a, a pretty, pretty bad argument for why our wine would, would be wrapped up in that. And uh, one of the major things is that we were adding a, a terpene extract, a hemp-derived terpene extract that, that contained no cannabinoids and therefore shouldn't, you know, be, be listed as a prohibited product. Um, the, the other part of that was that if you isolated the compounds in our terpene blends individually, they were all either generally recognized as safe by the FDA or by the World Health Organization Joint Committee on Food Additives as an acceptable food additive. So I think that together with uh, the New York hemp industry just starting to begin and us really being a, a public face on a, on a hemp product, um, you know, uh, had New York State Liquor Authority make a um, unprecedented decision by um, adding a new license category for wine beverages called, um, what is it, uh, hemp? Hemp specialty. Hemp correct? specialty. Hemp oh. specialty. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that that was that was breaking down a major wall. That was uh, that was really putting putting hemp on a state level of government where where they were willing to take a risk for um, you know a constituent. Yeah. And and actually face down the federal government. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Big. And you know, in in our estimation, um, you know, uh, what what better place to have that uh, happen than in New York? Um, which not only has such a great history of agriculture and, and also hemp in, in New York, but um, also has a very independent mind and a mind that, you know, we can, we can get it done in New York and we don't need anyone else's input or help necessarily. So um, I think that, that attitude carries over through the current governor's administration and um, that's really helped propel it forward. And, and as we were you know, out there marketing this product and, and getting out there and all the difficulties that came with that is we had to self-distribute because the distributors wouldn't take us because we didn't have a federal alcohol label. Um, the governor um, signed uh, uh, in legislation introduced by some of them, Donald Pardo, who's our, our assembly member, uh, that um, expanded the hemp program and allowed for $10 million in research money um, to be allocated into the hemp program, something that no other state was doing. And uh, leveraging the uh, educational asset of Cornell University in their ag school. Um, and at that point, we turned around and said, hey, we, you know, let's let's try to grow hemp next year. And that's what we did. And so we, we struggled through our first year uh, under this, this new company, CSG Hemp. Uh, we had a lot of difficulties in the field, as mostly any hemp farmer growing for the first time does and should have, right? Um, but, uh, but we made it out with a lot of hard work. And we looked to this year and we said, well, what can we do this year? Can we expand? And, and, you know, we had over 100 farmers inquire to work with us, and we wilted it down to about 16. Um, she's usually located in different parts of the state, from, as my dad mentioned, you know, two, three acres to, to 35 acres, to one of the largest, uh, one of our farmers owns one of the largest wineries in the state, to, you know, a very small organic berry farmer who um, has had that farm in her family uh, since the early 1900s. And so it's, it's really just been the greatest pleasure to work with all these different farmers and at the same time also uh, develop ourselves as um, one of the leading regulatory analysis um, you know, companies in the state and working directly with uh, the governor, with uh, the state assembly and the state senate this year um, to uh, pass the hemp extract bill, which is, an, uh, is a bill that will catapult New York State as a leader in terms of consumer safety and, and, and prioritizing our farmers and, uh, you know, very narrowly falling short on, you know, the whole package, which was the adult use regulations in the Marijuana Regulation and Tax Act. Um, but what was important for us is that farmers were represented in all those discussions and, and, and they were. Yeah. So you guys have a, a very special way of working with the uh, farmers yeah. and you put them on, 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 Number one priority, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, well, we call them our farming partners. Okay. Because that's exactly what they are. Uh, they're the ones that know their land the best. They love farming. They don't. They don't want to stop farming. They don't want to go to the city and work in a factory, if you know that was possible. Um, they're excited about uh, being able to make a. a a living off of farming again. Mm -hmm. um, when you're looking at, at a couple hundred dollars for, for corn per acre and, and a minimal amount of money for hay, and the dairy industry is, is horrible here in New York, you know, uh, 
the price of milk is is pretty low and it's regulated and mm-hmm. and it's hard to make a living it's hard to make a lot of mm-hmm. you know milk especially in tough times and so um we offered our farmers uh again a partnership um we split it we split it in half with them they're doing a lot of work we're doing a lot of work um our mission really is to to make them successful because if they're successful we're successful and the whole community becomes successful off of it mm-hmm. and uh it just keeps uh, evolving and growing um at, at a good rate here too yeah and unlike you know a, a consultant um what we do is we we uh, select the genetics uh, working with partners such as HGH Seed this year, um, and we, you know, acquire those genetics and we propagate them. We bring those propagates to the farm when they're ready to plant. We guide them on their best soil prep, on all of their nutrition plans, making sure that pH is in the right zone. And really, our, our chief agricultural officer, um, you know, works hand in hand with each farmer in order to make sure that their land is best prepped for you know, the soil that they have and the equipment that they have. Um, and then we handle the, uh, the drying process and the selling of it. And so what we do is we take the gross right off the top and we split it right in half. Okay, well, great. Yeah, yeah I was out at one of the farms today and looking at the, uh, the grows there, and your dad, uh, Jim here, was explaining to me that the prep is really, really, really important. It's yeah. probably one of the most important yeah. things to yeah, start. Absolutely. Um, if you don't go, if, if you don't start with a properly uh, prepared field, it's going to be it's going to be tough. You're going to you're going to have a lot of challenges all the way uh, up until harvest. You're going to battle. You're, you're going to battle all the time. You're going to you're going to battle weeds. You're going to battle uh, low um, uh, nutrient content in your soil. You're going to battle a, a bad pH system. You mm-hmm. know uh, that's going through your soil. So uh, yeah, we. we we start early, uh, early in the year, and, and we work very hard to make sure that um, the number one thing is is that field is prepped and ready to accept plants, and those plants will enjoy where they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that word, enjoy where they're at. Exactly. Yeah. Our yeah. plants are happy. I, I think something that we impress, too, and, and our, our agricultural officer, you know, Aldous, is one of our, our business partners here, he, he impresses that that's so important is that... Um, the ground is what allows the plants to pull the carbon out of the air, right? So the, the plants are built from the CO2 in the air, right? A lot of people have this uh, perception that you know, they pull out of the ground and you know, they, they, they build themselves up from the ground. But really the ground is, allows them to pull that CO2 out of the air and to continue to grow, right? And so... Um, the prep is not just about what your NPK ratio is, right? But it's about, you know, is there enough tillage for the roots to expand before they hit the hard pan, right? Is the pH in the right zone so that the nutrient uptake can exist, right? Um, are the beds off the ground so that when we get the heavy rains in New York, that the water channels away and that mm. the hemp doesn't have wet feet, right? Is there boron in the soil, right? Are these these compounds that are necessary for the plants to be able to absorb nutrients, right? And, um, you know, all these things are, are very important. And the, the, the most important thing is that we're constantly learning, right? We don't have it all figured out. I don't think anyone really has it figured out or should say they have it all figured out uh, because we're all just, you know, learning what hemp likes. Uh, these genetics that are around, you know, are not necessarily stable. I think there's a long way to go in order to find the best genetics for, uh, you know, 
for for hemp in the United States. And uh, you know, <laughs> I think we're uh, we're all working on. Our dog came out here to interrupt. I think. Oh, that's okay. That's that's part of that's part of the process. That so we heard us talking about him wanting to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They wanted they wanted to be included too. Yeah. Right. So anyhow, <laughs> well, that's great. So Jameson, let's get over to you. You're the creative director here. Yep. Uh, what do you do? So uh, my job this summer has been following the stories of all of our hemp farmers. Uh, everything from putting the plants in the ground, and we're going to be uh, getting up to harvest soon. Um, so what my job really boils down to is that uh, we want the consumer to care about where the hemp in their products is coming from. Uh, we want them to care that it's being grown organically on local farms, family farms. So yeah, that's that's basically what I do. I just so you track help. everything and you put it into the computer, and so you know exactly where and who is producing what, right? Uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a pretty good idea. Um, we're growing all over the state, so I'm, I'm driving all over the state to follow these stories. Okay. Awesome. That's what Jameson does. He tells the story. Yeah. He is our storyteller. Yeah. Yep. And that's great. I like that. It's important because there's a lot of stories to be told. And one of the, the major story that we keep running into is the the fear that these farmers will lose not only their business, but their way of life. And that has been uh, something that's been very powerful for, for us to understand. And I think that if more people that are looking at hemp industry as a green rush would understand, uh, I think it would I think it would change the way that uh, that the market moves, you know, these, these brokers and consultants from everywhere and you know players in the processing game trying to rip farmers off and you know companies putting out products that have little to no cbd and possibly harmful uh, compounds in them um, i think that what we try to do is set ourselves apart and allow these farmers to tell their story through their hard work right instead of what agriculture has started to become where it's just another number and these farmers are just a number, not a farm. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Definitely. Caring. Yeah. My thing is people, planet, and profit. Take care of the people. That's the farmers. They're number yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's your your number one uh, customer right there. You yeah. want to take care of them. We have a saying here, everyone eats. That's so. it. I like it. Yeah. Cool. Anything else that you want to... Um, yeah, I think, I think we really built our brand off of just being, you know... Uh, we, we're on the we're on the farmer's side, so you know farmers are really they they like to work with us because they know we're not trying to you know rip anybody off. We we understand that we're trying to put food on everybody's table. Yep, that that says it all. Yeah, yeah, and I like the little tagline here: leading leading the charge here in yep. New York. Yep. I like yep. that. Yep, and I I like that the your the the company is sustainability group. Yep. Yeah, I like yeah. that. It's important because that's that's one of our main goals, and I think people think of sustainability sometimes as only being ecological, which is very important and, and a priority for us to maintain these, you know, uh, these fragile uh, waterways and you know that 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 roll through our farms and and the fragile ecosystems of the soil and the forests and you know the on our fields, right? But also 
creating a sustainable way of life and economy in some of these uh, rural areas, right? Where, you know, you don't have to constantly be caught up in either a cycle of debt, which a lot of farmers end up getting caught into, yep. or, uh, you know, constantly waiting what the global commodity prices will be and hoping that, you know, the Chinese continue their appetite for beef so that you can sell your soybeans overseas or something, you know, and, and or the, you know, the, that the government will continue to require ethanol to be, you know, included in fuel so that you can continue to sell your corn for ethanol. You know, so, so these kind of things where the farmer is now removed from what they're growing, right? And I think that's what we're trying to do is, is create a sustainable circle uh, where the consumers, and, and we really, you know, start out focusing on consumers in the largest market for cannabis in the country, whether that's CBD or, or marijuana, which is New York City and the greater metro area yeah. in New York. Yeah. And so our big thing is connecting those consumers, a lot of them what we call conscious consumers, to these farms in upstate New York and able to tell that, that story. And, and what, what Jameson isn't uh, explaining is that it's not that easy where we're in a world where there's media everywhere. It's not just about putting the camera, but making it look professional, right? Doing things that these farmers don't necessarily have the time, the resources, or the know how to do but you know video editing and, and getting through these social channels that everyone is on nowadays I think that that's something that um, that is important it's important the whole piece just as you know we have someone who is completely uh, in charge of you know making sure that we're giving the farmers the best genetics and the best um, you know practices to grow and you know we're also working on making sure that you know we're connected with brands, you know, and, and that we know where our hemp is going before we even put in the yeah, ground. We're, we're giving our farmer yeah. network a network, yeah, uh, an outlet to actually sell the hemp. Yeah, exactly. I mean, which is which is difficult, and and um, you know, I, I think that that sets the farmer's uh, mind at ease because they're going into it with a lot of unknowns, and one of the big unknowns is uh, how do we get how do we sell it? How do we actually make money off of this. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. Uh, you know, having having that network that we've established and, and worked so hard to build and continue to build is just as important as having a, a tractor, really. Yeah, you know, exactly. Or, or seed to put in the ground. Yeah. 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 It is exactly. So it's, it's the whole you're, cycle. You're coming up with the, the whole package here yep. that they Trying. can rely yeah. on. Yep. Yeah. Trying. Well, and now yep. we have a crop, too, that we don't have to spray herbicides or pesticides on. And I think that sometimes farmers in the greater, con, you know, uh, conversation about um, conservation, sustainability, and, you know, um, fighting climate change and, and whatnot, I think farmers are, uh, you know, they, they definitely get a lot of blame. And I think some of it is completely warranted. But then also we have to understand that when you're in the cycle of debt, you're in your cycle of, of poverty, which a lot of farmers are in, it's really hard to make the decisions that you know are right which is, you know, taking care of your soil and taking care of your land, right? Exactly. And, you know, like a major thing is if you have to continue to increase the amount of cows you have to milk, you're spending less time focused on the cows, and you're also increasing the amount of manure that you're producing, and you're definitely not spending $600,000 to build a new stainless steel, you know, new steel tank to sink underground right. that you can store that manure. <clears throat> and, you know, so, so, so some of these, you know... Um, and, and, and so that's and so what it, it creates is this vicious cycle where the farmers are distrustful of regulation, they're distrustful of the government, the EPA, you know, the Department of Envi Environmental Conservation, and now they're enemies, which doesn't make any sense at all. Exactly. You know. Yeah.
And uh, yeah, so now we're saying, okay, we're going to put some money in, in, in your pocket with, you know, we grow high, high CBD crop, which is a profitable undertaking. Um, and so, you know, now we can actually, the farmers can do what they really want to do is take care of their land for the next generation. Um, you know, if they've diversified into hemp and they sell their dairy operation to focus on their the health of their cows so they can produce the highest quality product they can so that, you know, a lot of our farmers on the dairy operations, their goal is to produce a quality uh, milk product that they can then sell to like Ben and Jerry instead of selling to a milk co-op, which is going to Walmart and they're getting, you know, $16 per hundred pound of yeah, milk. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's creating a, a, a great option. Yeah. That complements what they're already doing. So it's, uh, exactly. it's, yeah, it's, it's great. I like, I like the, the mission that you guys are on. I know you put a lot of thought into this because most people don't. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah, you know, there's, it's there's a green rush. Right? Again, it's it's a green rush, and and everyone's got an angle, mm-hmm. it seems. And uh, I think I think part of uh, the trust that New York State has in us is due to our transparency and and you know uh, truthfulness with our farmers. Really, yeah. You know, uh, a farmer's recommendation goes a long way. And we're definitely not in any rush because we've been doing this since 1995. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, where do you see yourself? I mean, we're right in the middle of you just planted some. uh, You're going to be harvesting in in a couple months. Uh, That's kind of uncertain. You hope to, you know, do better than last year and everything else turning out for you guys. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that we learned a lot of lessons the hard way, and that's sometimes the only way you can learn those lessons, right? We we also had. The worst weather summer imaginable yeah. in 35 years. We the, still made it through there. The amount of rainfall was um, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. We learned, we learned, we learned, we learned, we learned. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not dumb people. Mm-hmm. So all those things that, that we did wrong, we thought about that, and we've come up with solutions, we hope, uh, and thought about it pretty hard so that, that we can make this more efficient. We can make the hemp crop better by not handling it as much, by taking care of the hemp a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to realize it's a delicate to, to handle CBD uh, plants. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you, you, you don't want to mutilate them. You don't want to rough them up. Rough them up too much. And, chuck them. and because of last year and, and really thinking about everything that we did step by step, and going step by step to make each step better, uh, we're going to end up with a, a much higher quality hemp crop, uh, a much higher yield hemp crop this year. Um, so as an example, I remember doing uh, very little acreage last year. We were, we were doing like eight acres of, of this one field. It was horrendous. It, it, we must have messed up every single way you could mess up. we corrected it we busted our butt and at the end of that planting it was like wow this is really hard this year we've done exponentially more more hemp um and because of a good uh uh, process that we've installed it went smooth the silk and we almost couldn't believe it was so easy yeah well we got two hundred ninety-two thousand plants in the ground compared to you know, what, 35,000 35, last, last year? Yeah. I mean, and it went so much easier. But I think when we, when we look at drying, I mean, it's going to be hard. And the inevitability, what we look at is that, um, which I think is different from, from the 
people we call spreadsheet jockeys, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yep. You get you got your financiers in here. They're from Wall Street or et cetera. They w- they look at their spreadsheet and they say, well, if, if I grow a hemp plant, it will produce me one pound. Therefore, if I grow a hundred thousand of them, I'll get a hundred thousand pounds, and I'll get this much isolate off it, and I'll sell all the CBDs in the world, right? And um, you know, that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. So what happens is when when we do have a catastrophic failure, which during the harvest season or drying season could happen every single day, put our heads together, we work with our farmers, and we figure it out and get it done. Yeah. And and that's kind of RMO. And so I think that this year it'll be hard and it'll be long, but we'll have our crop. We'll deliver it to you know the processors that uh, that we're working with, and you know we'll we'll look towards next year and. When we look at next year, we don't even necessarily look at um, scale, scaling up as we did this year. Um, I think that what we're going to look for next year is we're going to have, you know, sit down with the brands that we work with and the process that we work with and say, well, how much do you want and how much should we grow for you? And, um, and then we'll focus more on terpene profiles, genetics, cannabinoid profiles, and other minor cannabinoids such as CBG or CBN and yield and i think that's what we'll focus on moving forward um i think that uh i think we're, we're going to experience an overproduction of high cbd crop this year as as a nation and i think that unfortunately a lot of companies and, and maybe fortunately for some of these companies that don't have that good of intentions um i think they'll be uh they'll be weeded out yeah you know, yeah. for sure, yeah. yeah. I like that. Weed it out. Weed, weed it out. out. <laughs> Some weeds are going to weed out. going to weed them out. Weed yeah. out the bad actors, right? That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. So is there anything else that you guys want to bring out about uh, you and your company or stuff that you want to do in, a, in the future? Hmm. Well, I, I think I think something that, that we really have a lot of passion in and that we work a lot on is, is, uh, is legislation. And I think that, um, you know, this year... We worked so hard on on this uh, this hemp extract bill, and we got a very large coalition of industry stakeholders around it um, in New York. And I think, unfortunately, on the national level, um, a, a lot of people had misunderstood the bill and misunderstood uh, the the current regulatory framework that this bill was going into in New York, and and looked at it out of context in a vacuum and said, "Wow." New York wants to completely not allow outside hemp products. And it's just, it, it, it was tough for us at first because we were upset that, you know, we, we've been working with manufacturers and, and, and you know, brands and, and farmers all legislative session. And we knew what the intent of the bill was. And I think that the misreading of the bill to say that it prevents outside uh, hemp products. It was just, it was very inaccurate. And, um, you know, what, what we want in New York is we want a level playing field and we want, uh, products that come into New York to be accurately labeled. We want you to say where it was grown and we want you to produce it, um, to the same standards that our New York manufacturers have to. Um, and, uh, because of those three tenants, I think that there was definitely some confusion. And, um, you know, fortunately it led to some, some uh, somewhat heated discussions with some of my, you know, some of my friends from from other states, mm-hmm. um, you know, that 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 do run very successful large 
CBD companies, and and they were defensive that they thought that we were trying to pull the plug from their their market access in New York, and that it just is not the case. And okay. so, you know, I think that as we the bill passed, and as we work with the governor to uh, make the necessary amendments to to sign it, um, you know, we just want everyone to know that yes, we are looking to prioritize our farmers, and one of our major um, regulations in there that we're not looking to to change and no farms are looking to change and the New York Farm Bureau is also very supportive of is that if you're a processor in New York you should look to buy New York hemp first mm-hmm. and uh, that's something that, that we're not looking to change at all but I think that we our goal of allowing products that are safe into New York State from all other states I think that that will be maintained through this amendment process and um, you know New York will continue to be open for business just as it is now um, and, uh, you know, we, we look to work together, um, but, you know, New York also has this very strong independent streak about it, and, uh, you know, we, the reality of the situation is, is that the New York City market is so large that, you know, we, I think a lot of manufacturers tend to get uh, focused on that market and don't look, don't seem to think that they need other markets, but, we we want to create an, an open and diverse uh, market and industry in New York. We just want to do it while making sure that our farmers don't face the same pressures that they do from any other commodity that they grow. Okay, well, great, guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, this has been a pleasure, and thank you thank for you. your hospitality here. Sure. And it's Thanks been for showing great. up. And you got some great weather for it. Oh, oh yeah, beautiful weather, weather yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Going to make some fajitas and yeah. enjoy a nice dinner tonight, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. So I want to thank you for being a guest on the iHemp Revolution podcast, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Coach. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host. Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.